Welcome to episode 15. 15! It's been a while. It has, yeah, for us. How was your long vacation break? It was good. The only thing is, is that when you take kids on a vacation, it's like not a vacation. (laughs) As the mom, anyway. It's just taking your kids and taking care of them in another place instead (laughs) of at home. So... You didn't feel like you got, like, the relaxing experience that you were hoping for? I definitely did not get a relaxing experience. Um, well, tell but us, tell us what, how did it go? Did Josh win a lot of money? No, he lost everything. <laughs> um, oh, no. Yeah, so... So, what, do you know what kind of, do you know what kind of, like, bets he was making on the roulette table? I have no idea. Oh. I was, I, I was, was with the kids, so... Gotcha. I've been wondering, I'm like, I wonder what he ended up doing. I have no idea, but... But, um, yeah, it didn't go well that way. The guys did a lot of golfing, so me and Jordan were, like, trying to figure out how to entertain the kids mm-hmm. in Vegas, which is harder than you think. Yeah, especially if you've been and seen it all already. Yeah, because you, you know? can only go to M&M World so many times. <laughs> it's, like, kid-friendly. <laughs> and then, you know, we went and watched the Bellagio Fountain, and, like, they're in the, we went to the minute mile or let's see what's that what's that mall called the mile mall or something I don't know we went through there I don't know. they used to have a little fountain show but we waited there for 30 minutes and it never happened <laughs> you're like just watching the water yeah. we literally just sat there and waited for like something to happen and, and it never did the employees are probably like, ah, oh, tourists, yeah. <laughs> like, waiting for the fountain to start. And it's just like, like it looks like it's raining. Oh, okay. That's literally all that it does. And it does like a thunder show with rain. That's cool. In the mall. So it is kind of cool, but like it never happened and I was kind of bummed oh. about it. So yeah. like, anyway, and it was freezing. I did not expect oh, really? it to be so cold. It was so windy. Oh. So if it wasn't windy, it probably wouldn't have been too bad, but like, it was so windy that, like, I had to take the kids to go buy jackets Aww. because I was expecting it to be warm. Yeah. Like but, a spring break kind of a Yeah, day. but, like, like maybe a little chilly at night, but warmish in the day. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. That is not what happened. So, yeah, anyway, so it was just... And then Disneyland was fun. The kids were really excited. Um, you know, it's Disneyland. Right. Levi got his croissant That's at good. Little Paris. That's good. I lied. It was at Little Paris. We we saw the Eiffel Tower in Vegas, which mm-hmm. is Little Paris to Levi. And <laughs> did he think it was cool or was he just like, huh. yeah, he was very excited about it. <laughs> and then they do like when the Bellagio goes, because it's right across the street from the Bellagio fountain. Mm-hmm. It like is has colors like lights Aww. and stuff. And so Levi was really excited. That's cool. So, but then we got him a. At Jack in the Box, we got him a croissant sandwich, and I was like, "You got a, you got a croissant in Little Paris," and he's like, "Yeah, this is the best sandwich I've my life." <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah, he was very excited, and he's like, "So when can we go to Big Paris?" And I was like, "Big Paris." <laughs> I was like, "When you have money to pay for it." That's, when. That's cute. Oh, oh. That's that was a rock rude. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> What's that? Tire pressure? Yeah. Well, just go where we're going. <laughs> okay. I might have a flat tire from whatever we ran over, but... Do you think? Like, I don't know. I don't know what it was. It was. It looked like a little rock. That'd be quite the event. Honestly, though. <laughs> that would just it have wouldn't to surprise me at all. Yeah. Yeah, let's just ride it out. <laughs> I mean, we're not like... Does it feel flat? No, I feel fine. I'm also going 75 miles per hour. Oh, we're about to stop in a second. Oh, let's get in some bumper-to-bumper traffic and just let it deflate. Right lane's closed. Ahead, slow down. So maybe get over if you can. Well, I guess it'd be a good time for you to start your story since we have quiet audio, you know, quiet background noise. Yeah, um, it's a short one. (laughs) That's fine. Not on purpose, it's just that's how it worked out. So, okay. Have you ever heard of Sherry Black? No. Oh, okay. Let me tell you about her then. Um, Sherry Black was born October 14th, 1946 in Provo, Utah. She grew up in Orem, Utah and went to Orem High School. 
Um, she was a bookworm and loved to bowl. Her parents actually owned a bowling alley in Orem, and she was in, like, the competitive leagues Do you know stuff. which one it was? Uh, no, it didn't say. Oh, I bet Mitch would know about it. Yeah, probably. Um, and th- she bowled competitively and even traveled all over the U.S. to compete. So Okay. Similar to what the Mitch, guys do. <laughs> yeah, what the guys do with their childhood. Yeah, so Mitch is a, a bowler, and Jordan Harrington is a bowler, and Corey is a bowler. So they've all been bowling since they were, like, seven years old or something. And they've been part of leagues together and, like, tournaments and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, it's a whole nother community. It's a whole different world. It really is. Okay. Um, in one of the leagues she was a part of, Sherry met the love of her life, Earl Black. And they married April 16th, 1965. Um, they loved the outdoors, adventure, and animals. Sherry was even a docent at the Hogle Zoo. Do you know what a docent is? Mm-hmm. It's basically like a guide. Oh. The guides that, like, teach you about it. Teach you about everything. And so she was super smart, and she was even, like, part of the... One of the presidents of the Utah Docent Society or something like Jeez. that. Jeez, okay. Oh. Do we actually have a flat tire? Oh, shit. Yep. Well, everyone, we uh, changed our tire. (laughs) It is flat. The driver, the front driver's side is the problematic one. Halfway through us changing the tire, though, some, I don't know what... I don't know what his ranking was. Uh, Miller from the Air Force. He came and helped us with our tire. <sighs> anyway, but thank you so much for helping us, sir. We told you thank you, but if you hear this, which you probably won't, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for your help, because, uh, I mean, we had it, but we made mistakes. We, <laughs> yeah, as, as usual. We are far enough away, though, that we can't drive there on a donut, so we're going to have to not travel to our destination this time. Sucks. Which really sucks. Sorry about your tire. No, it's not. It's not your fault. <laughs> I, I would have ran over it too. Like, I mean, what if you wouldn't have though? Like, what if you would have seen it better? Well, I was looking and dodged at the it. road and I did not see anything. So. I saw it like as it was coming, and I was like, "Is that a rock?" But the way it hit the car, it sounded a lot louder than a rock. Yeah, it who knows? Who knows what that was? I'm gonna run someone over. I want to get away from like. <laughs> this people <laughs> yeah just go somewhere where we can't get kicked out um, i know there's a target at the end of the street okay i'm pretty sure we really don't have very good luck with freeways <sighs> so sherry was a bookworm remember her love of books became a profitable business she grew a strong reputation as an expert of rare and used books she owned a bookstore that was I guess, like, next to her house. So she lived in Salt Lake, like, downtown Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. And she had a bookstore kind of, like, tucked away next door to her house. And she would, every morning, go to, like, what are they called? Thrift stores. Thrift stores. <laughs> <laughs> and she would, she was good at, like, spotting books that people had given away. Um, okay, so she was also, like, an enthusiast with yeah. these books. Like, she was, like, yeah. researching what's valuable, what's not. Yes, and she was, She actually became pretty well-known in that document. Like, remember the story about the document dealer yeah. guy? Uh-huh. Well, like, she was kind of in that world a little bit because she knew so much and knew the value of mm-hmm. these rare like books. publications mm-hmm. and, okay. and... It was mostly Mormon books and children's books. Um, she started a business you know, going to the thrift stores and estate sales, buying the books for less than $5 and then reselling them for, cause she knew what they were worth. I see. I thought back then too, it would be easier to find authentic mm-hmm. original books because back then like, and there was probably less duplicates. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she owned the bookstore with her brother, Jim Way Casey. And so the B, so her, her bookstore was called a B and W Billards and Books. Um, so the B came from her last name Black, and the W came from her brother's last name Way Casey. Billiards and books? Yeah, because her, her husband would make custom knives and pool tables and okay. sold them at this place. So it was a family business. Okay. okay. 
Um, she sold her books, especially the more expensive ones, by appointment only. Um, she also had a successful Amazon store selling her books. Amazon? Yeah. On November 10th, 2010, at 1.43 p.m., Earl found his wife Sherry in their home slash store beaten and stabbed to death. Oh, shit. Mm -hmm. In my head, I was wondering, like, is she the victim or is she the murderer? She's the victim. Um, so this was in 2010, so not too long ago. No. It feels like it was actually, like, two years ago, but it was 12. 11. 12. 12. <laughs> yeah, that's... Okay. On November 10th, 2010, at 1.43, Earl found his wife, Sherry, in their home and business, beaten and stabbed to death. He called 911 immediately. Earl was not a suspect of Sherry's murder. Usually, it's the husband that everyone looks to first. Yeah, or whoever calls 911. Yeah, and they're, they're like, like, you were there. Yes. Yeah. Like, retrace your steps right. with us. Right. Um, his neighbors and family described him as a giving, amazing neighbor, you know, one that talks to you over the fence and is mm. like super like, how are you? Um, so yeah, he was a really, really amazing guy. And that's also with Sherry that they were just really friendly people. Mm -hmm. Though due to the nature of the crime, Earl was still taken to the police headquarters and spent majority of the night answering questions and being interrogated, you know. As they do. Yeah. Um, at the crime scene, investigators found an Armani exchange belt next to Sherry's body. The waist measurement of the person that wore the belt was 36 to 38 inches. The markings on the front of the buckle had trademark letters AX, also had a possible inventory number 323 on the back. They were able to confirm the belt does not belong to anyone in the Black family. Hmm. They also found what they believed to be the suspect's blood and did also did not match anyone in Sherry's family. Okay. Um, they couldn't confirm there was anything missing from the bookstore because Sherry kept inventory in her memory. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, so she... And I guess that, from what I read, that's not uncommon for book dealers and document hmm. dealers. In her brain. Like, I wonder, yeah. how do you remember, like, which one you sold? Or which one you traded? I'm or sure which she one... didn't have a huge collection of mm. super expensive books. I think that's what she probably kept in her memory, oh, was okay. the ones that were worth a lot of ones. money. And then the other ones just kind of came and went. Mm. So I don't think it was a huge So if deal. she was robbed, she would she would be the one she to She would know. Okay. But they weren't able to confirm anything had been stolen. That makes sense. Um, there were stacks of valuable books left everywhere, left untouched, and nothing was missing from the register. So the register had cash in it, and that hmm. wasn't taken. Okay. So, so it's more like a crime of passion or whatever it's called. Yeah, that's what I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. So they sent the belt and the blood found at the crime scene in for testing, but they were unable to find any match to the DNA in the database. The DNA testing confirmed the blood was from a male, um, but that's all they really can, could tell. Okay. So in 2017, it went to a cold case. It became a cold case. They mm -hmm. just didn't have any leads. The family didn't know anyone who would try to harm her, didn't know of any enemies, all of that. And the DNA wasn't getting them anywhere, and there weren't any eyewitnesses. So they Jeez. had nothing other than the DNA. That's all they had, but no matches. Wow. So, after it had become a cold case, the Cold Case Coalition investigators sent the DNA to a lab in Virginia. Mm -hmm. So, okay, hold on, blah, 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 blah. In 2017, investigators released three composite digital sketches of what he could have looked like through the DNA phenotyping process used at the Paraben Nano Labs in Virginia. So that's who they sent it to, and they sent back these possible digital sketches of what he could have looked like that's based on his DNA. So fascinating. The eye color, the based hair on, color. Yeah, I guess DNA could tell you that, huh? Yeah, and it could tell you, like, um, hmm. phenotyping predicts a person's physical appearance and ancestry using genetic codes, including skin, hair, eye color, and facial structure. Um, detectives weren't getting any leads. The case went cold until almost a decade later. Okay. So in 2020, mm -hmm. using the latest DNA and genealogy technology, mm -hmm. Paraben Labs were able to narrow their search down to someone in the Durborough family and gave the tip to authorities. Like narrowed it down to a, a one family. person. Oh, a family. Yeah. 
a family member in the Durborough family contacted by detectives and they agreed to outline a family tree and mm. just say like this is what who's in our family imagine getting that phone call right and they're like sure yeah <laughs> can you tell us about this your is family the FBI, tree yeah. and we need to know everything about your family it's like Shh. i mean so police were led to a man named adam Durborough on october 7th 2020 dna was collected from adam then submitted to the Utah Bureau of Forensic Services and later confirmed the brutal murder of Sherry Black was, in fact, Adam Durboro. Three wow. days later, on October 10th, Durboro was arrested near his home in Orem, and shortly after his arrest, he confessed to murdering Sherry. He also told detectives that he used the internet to follow the investigation and read media stories that there was DNA evidence found at the crime scene. Um, Durboro was booked into the Salt Lake City Jail on felony charges of aggravated... I said it right that time. Nice. <laughs> murder and aggravated burglary. It's a, it's a small... Victories. <laughs> it's a small victories that get us through, you know? Yeah. Okay. KSL TV later discovered that Durboro had a criminal past. He was arrested for shoplifting September 16th, 2010, which is a couple months before her murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he was arrested for theft on January 15th, 2011, a couple months after the murder. Okay. And was found guilty on both charges. So was he just trying, my guess is that he was trying to rob her and it went wrong. Yeah. Okay. But there was no murder in the other ones. He That's true. must he have been caught off guard or something. Like a scared in, maybe? Yeah. It's just weird, though, because it's like, okay, let's say you get caught. You've already been to jail. Yeah. Just go again. <laughs> you yeah. know? Like, I mean, what's the big deal? Why, why does that person have to not have a life anymore because you got caught? Yeah. You know what I mean? Just don't hurt people. Like, like what's the point in, like, okay, so you're going to steal stuff. What's the point adding on to that and hurting someone yeah. because of it? Because you were stealing their things and they're like, hey, don't steal my stuff. Yeah. And you're like, well, now you got to die. Yeah. <laughs> like, then you think that's going to be less worse <laughs> than I getting just, caught yeah. for stealing their books or whatever? Yeah. It's so effed up. <sighs> so Utah law calls for the collection of DNA samples from those convicted of felonies and class A misdemeanors. But shop- oh. shoplifting is a class B misdemeanor. So Durboro's DNA was not collected in those arrests. You know, I feel like they should just take DNA from every single person who gets arrested. I guess it just depends on, like, the person, but why not collect it? Yeah. It might link things together later on, you know? Right. (sighs) Um, so he never became part of the law enforcement database because he had class B misdemeanors instead of class A. So during the sentencing, Sherry's family described what they lost and how hard it was for them, especially the 10 years without knowing who did this to her. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many of her grandchildren told the judge how their lives were changed by losing their grandmother, but also how it changed their mom and their grandpa afterwards. Mm -hmm. Like you didn't just take away one life. You ruined a whole family. Yeah. You such a senseless crime. It makes no sense. Like what's the point? In that. So Earl Black said, quote, For 11 years, I've had to live without Sherry. My life will never be the same. She was beautiful and caring, as everyone has stated. Well, what a wonderful woman she was, but I don't have her anymore. Instead, I have the memory of coming home and finding her, and that's what I have left. That's so heartbreaking. Right? Sherry's family asked for life in prison without the possibility of parole. Third District Judge Randall Scanchi said that he feels extreme sorrow looking at both sides of the courtroom. On one side was Durboro, who had no family there to support him. But then on the other side had an entire family who had to deal with Sherry's murder, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And he was 19 and did an unspeakable act with no premeditation. It was just random. So yeah. February 23rd, 2022. Oh, yep. Like two weeks ago? Yeah. Three weeks ago? Adam Durboro was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Damn. Yeah. Um, her, you know what? He had enough freedom. Yeah. He said, I mean, he tried to say like, I regretted it every single day since. Why not turn yourself yeah. in then? Yeah. If it really got to you that bad, you would have turned yourself yeah. in. You lying piece of shit. Right. <laughs> he got caught. 
And that's why he's sorry. Mm-hmm. Sherry's daughter, Heidi, said, quote, Although he took her life, he could not take her soul, which lives on and is part of the love, beauty, and kindness and talents that her husband, daughter, and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will carry forward. Her legacy is a gift to future generations. The life she led and the influence she had can never be taken away. Wow. That's my story of Sherry Black, and it's finally solved. Thank you, DNA testing. Honestly, yeah, I'm really excited to see, like, what other cases end up being solved because of all the DNA testing and, you know, how it's being linked to murders and stuff. And shout out to the Utah Cold Case Coalition. Seriously. They've they've been solving some cases. Or they've they've at least been putting their, like, information out there, and they've been getting tips. Because even some Mm -hmm. of the stories I've been doing... It's like, oh, by the way, the Cold Case Coalition has a a tip on this, and they're still working on it. And it's like, thank goodness for them. You know, thank goodness that there's someone or, like, an organization of some kind that people can go to and give information even after the police aren't looking at it anymore. Yeah. But I got a lot of my information from SherryBlack.com. SherryBlackInfo.com, ABC4, Deseret, uh, KSLTV, all of that shenanigans but yeah so that's my story good story thanks yeah that was really good well we're not at our location it's gonna be a two-parter so you're just gonna have to hear my story and then wait till next time so there's that and i did my story on my phone this time i haven't done this in a while so this might be a little bit crazy but here we go okay so we are not there (laughs) we are not at yeah, um, so my story is about Ogden's 25th Street. Have you ever heard of it? Mm-hmm. You have heard of it. I think so. Isn't that where they have the Christmas village? I don't know. That's the only thing I know about Ogden. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't know How much. many streets do they have? I don't know. At least 25 so. <laughs> All right. Um, the story of Ogden's 25th Street begins with the Union Station. Do you know about the Union Station? Yes. What do you know about the Union Station? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I can visualize yep. it in my head. Let me actually show is you a picture. Is it a train station? It is a train station. Let me show you a picture of what it used to look like way back in the day. This is the second version of it, though, and I'll get to about that. That's a drawing of it in the newspaper back in, like, the 1800s. Nope, doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> well, it doesn't look like that now. Okay. It looks more like this now. Yeah, okay. So you've probably seen pictures of it. Yes. <laughs> okay. So the history of Ogden's 25th Street begins with that Union Station because okay. back in 1869, they finally completed the Transcontinental Railroad, which went from Iowa to California. Okay. And this railroad was owned by two different companies, but they needed to make a stop somewhere, right? Because there needed to be a middle point for one railroad to the next. Mm-hmm. And looking at the map, you know, for the plans of how they wanted the rail to go, they're like, okay, well, it looks like there's going to be a stop near Promontory, Utah. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of northwest of Ogden. Okay. They said there's going to be a really good spot there that is probably where we want the station to be. Brigham Young, though, had his hand in it, and he said, no, I don't want it to be in Promontory. I want it to be in Ogden, Utah. So he was the one that decided that. Okay. How he how he got that I don't know anyways what he wants interesting the establishment of the transcontinental road was a huge deal because mostly because it mostly ended the need to have to travel by wagon and horse it ended up being you can go by train so it used to be to go from Iowa or from Chicago to California it would take about four to six months by wagon and horse Mm -hmm. using this railway it only took about seven days wow so it really like was a huge deal to the people in the West because it it made it so they weren't as isolated from the East and it made it so their economies boosted because people were actually traveling and, you know, making it a point to come out and visit. Yeah, that makes sense. So the Transcontinental Railroad was completed on May 10th of 1869 and the original Union Station was uh, just a simple two-story wooden building that was off the banks of the Weber River. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming, it didn't say this anywhere, but I'm assuming that back in the day, they didn't have a lot of, like, money or resources or, like, funds to put towards the station at first. So it was just a simple, like, it's a station. Okay. Like, it's good enough. Yeah. And then as it became more and more popular, like, over, I think it was, like, 20 years-ish, they were like, oh, this is a really busy place. We need to, like, 
expand it or okay. like make it better, bigger and better. Yeah. So in 1889, so yeah, exactly 20 years later, they built a bigger, larger, nicer building. Before and during the station's construction, so 24th Street used to be where all the businesses were. Mm-hmm. But since they built this new building, um, the way that it looked, which I showed you the picture, so let me show you again. So that's what it looked like when they built it the second time. And that big clock tower sat perfectly centered with 25th Street. Okay. So for the whole aesthetic, businesses moved over one street. So that's how 25th Street became so popular when 24th Street is actually easier to access. It's just because of that clock tower. <laughs> like that's okay. really the only reason. Huh. So you'll still see like old timey buildings on 24th Street and they are if not older than 25th Street, but it moved over because of the clock tower. So Wow. So the railway that ran from Iowa to Ogden was the Union Pacific, and the railway that went from from Ogden to San Francisco was the Central Pacific. Okay. And so this Union Station was the meeting point between the two stations, and they shared that facility. Okay. In this huge, massive building that they've made they also had a laundry building inside of it which will come into the story again later so they had a massive laundry building where literally all of the train cars and all of the stations that went from iowa to san francisco would send their laundry to that one place to be done wow. another fun fact is that um there were also some hotels not hotels some what do you want to call them resorts oh. i guess there was also some like so in the western side of the United States, there were like resorts like at um, Zion National Park, Bryce Canyon, and the Grand Canyon, for example. Those are the only ones I listed, but there was also like Yellowstone Hmm. and places in like Oregon and Washington. They would literally ship their laundry to the station to have it done, and then they'd ship it out. Hmm. That's how big and massive this laundry building was. Hmm. So basically overnight, Ogden went from being a very small agricultural farm town into the junction city of the West. I found that they had approximately 100 train cars coming into town each day, which brought hundreds of people each day. Mm-hmm. The Union Station actually caught fire in 1923, and the entire building was basically burned down to ashes, but then they rebuilt it and redesigned it. It looks completely different now. So the version we see now is from 1924. That's okay. how old it is. No more clock tower? No more clock tower. Oh, but yeah, it was so important. Yeah, I know. I know. So they took away the clock tower, which is really sad. That's basically all of the history of how 25th Street came to be. Like, why it's popular. Why it's a big deal. We're going to talk about the reputation now. And so it was conveniently sat on the west end of 25th Street. So when people came into town, they conveniently had lodging. They had bars. They had restaurants. All Mm. of it was right there. Even entertainment. Like, it was all in one place. Yeah. Newspapers back then would say, you can't go anywhere without making a stop in Ogden, Utah. Weird. Yeah. It is a shithole now. (laughs) Well, let me tell you how it came to be a shithole. This is kind of why. (laughs) It's nuts. So, um, because of the convenient way of travel, all walks of life came to Utah, and with that became lonely travelers, lonely miners and rail workers, and they would spend their time and money here gambling, they would spend on prostitutes, drugs, and of course the food and drink. Mm-hmm. Um, the state was quick to make Utah a dry state and to enforce prohibition as early as 1917. Um, but that didn't stop Ogden's 25th Street from selling alcohol. They began digging tunnels underneath the buildings that linked the buildings to each other so they could still sell alcohol without the government knowing about it. Heck yeah. I <laughs> know, right? Get it. <laughs> even even after the Prohibition era ended, the illegal activities and violence never stopped. Even the mob moved to Utah. The mob? The mob, which I tried to look up who the mob was, but that's all I could find. I found it in like three different places. The mob. And I'm like... Which one? So, <laughs> Brigham Young began preaching to his people to stay away from Sin City. So that's what he nicknamed it. Okay. And for a time, Ogden was considered one of the most dangerous cities in the country. The not-so-legal reputation gave the place a national nickname of Two-Bit Street. Two-Bit? Two-Bit. Do you know what Two-Bit no. is, like, slang for? Two-Bit, which I think is funny because some of the cute cafes have, like, taken on the Two-Bit. Uh-huh. But it's actually a British slang for being worth nothing and being cheap. Okay. Nice. <laughs> yeah, you just... 
worthless <laughs> shit. There's a few businesses, no offense, but you, know, you probably shouldn't have taken on that name. So. I'll take on that name. <laughs> Two bit April. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, that was the reputation. So it's just kind of a wild west town where just all walks of life came and like locals stayed away is, is what it sounded like. There was also a place called Electric Alley. In 1889, we're going way back, 1889, a 26-year-old woman named Dora P. Topham used the alias Belle London, and she was the madam, a.k.a. pimp, for a lot of women on 25th Street. Okay. Um, she had a secret brothel hidden behind Ogden's 25th and 24th Street. So, you know how they... In between the streets? Yeah, so, like, the building space out, right? right? Yeah. And in the center, there was, like, a courtyard-type area that they used as, like, a parking lot for their wagons and their horses and stuff. But she took that area and and built, like, cubicles in there to make it a prostitution. They called it Electric Alley. So, like, it was just, wow. like, this, this, like, place where she could do her business. And the only way to get to it was through, um, well, there's two ways to get through it. There was London's Ice Cream Parlor. So mm-hmm. she had, the top floor was also a brothel. As well as the basement was an opium den. But through her ice cream parlor is how you can get to Electric Alley. So you couldn't get to it from the outside. You had to go through one of the that businesses to go back. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> is it... So is it... Um, it's obviously not there anymore. Like the... the Electric Alley? Yeah. It's not there anymore, but they do have signs that say Electric Alley. And like, it's like... They, they kind of lean into it. They're like, oh. this is like our history, you know? Oh, okay. So you can still see signs. So they don't hide it. Mm-mm. Okay. Not anymore. Actually, let me just show you a picture real fast since I have it. This is what Electric Alley, this is like a diagram of it. So these are the fronts? Yep, the so this is 25th Street, this is 24th Street. Oh, here. okay, that's cool. So it's kind of like in between. Yeah. And this is London's ice cream parlor. That's what the building looks like on the outside. Cute! That's pretty cute, isn't it? Yeah. So in this hidden alleyway, Bell London had several, like I said, cubicle style rooms, aka cribs is another word for it. Hmm. They were about 8 feet by 8 feet, and she rented them out to prostitutes for about $2 a day, which would be about $60 a day now. Wow. London also used the upper level of her ice cream parlor as a front for her brothel. Law enforcement knew about this operation, but instead of shutting down the whole thing, they just came by on the 20th of every month and collected fines. They were like, well, Mm. we'll be by next month to collect our fines, and they just kind of let it be. And I was actually looking somewhere, I didn't put in my notes, that... Belle London was the only government-sanctioned madam. They just, like, let her do her thing in Utah. So, what, so, you said that the the sex workers had to rent out the cubes, mm-hmm. or the cribs, or whatever. So, it's like a salon, and then they just take anything mm-hmm. out. So, it's not like she, I mean, I don't think that's too bad. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, thinking about it, it's like, it's like a because sex work now is looked at as less of a shame on you shame thing. thing. Yeah. It's more of a do what you got to do type mm-hmm. thing and like whatever. But that's kind of cool that they that she's like you have to rent the space, but whatever money you get from that is yours to keep. Mm-hmm. Which is I think that's interesting. Yeah, I did read where they they interviewed her and they said how do you feel about what you're doing? And she said, she's like, I wish I didn't have to do this, but women don't have a great work. Yeah, what else are they going to yeah. do in the times? She basically said, she's like, I'm providing a job for these women who don't have any other means of getting yeah. money. And she said, and a lot of the women who come and do this for a while, it sets them up for their next thing. It's yeah. not it's not permanent. Which is kind of how sex workers look at do their jobs now mm-hmm. is they do it through college or they do yeah. it through what and so she was kind of ahead of the time if you think about yeah. it because she was like listen i'm it's their create... start yeah like there's a need i yeah. guess so and people are paying so there's a market for it exactly uh so she wasn't the only big name at the time another well-known madam was named gentle kate she was also sort of looked up to in a way. Um, she was also seen as a strong businesswoman, just like Belle London. And she was also someone who was never the type of person that would swindle anybody. And she had no toleration for any disorderly behavior. Mm. So she was kind of like, we don't play around here. Yeah, like, you don't you treat follow our, the rules. Yeah, yeah, treat everyone respectfully. And yeah. Yep, so that was gentle Kate. That's cool. So around the same time, there was also dangerous men. Um, one guy in particular named Rattlesnake Bill. He was known to, uh, I guess, kidnap, abduct, mug local LDS bishops, take them to the laundry house, 
and then baptized them until they renounced their beliefs. Wow. Yeah. So, like, LDS people were like, stay away from 25th Street because they don't like Mormons there. Yeah. Yikes. A different guy named Flanagan allegedly drugged Porter Rockwell at one point, which was Brigham Young's right-hand man. Yeah. And said that he... Let's see. Sorry, I wrote this kind of weird. But at one point, basically, Porter Rockwell visited 25th Street, and this guy named Flanagan found out that he was Brigham Young's right-hand man, and Porter Rockwell was drugged. Mm. In the 1940s, another madam, uh, her name was Rosette Davy, and people said that you always knew when she was working because she drove a bright pink Cadillac. Mm. Do you want to see a picture of her? Yeah. Ooh, she's pretty. Isn't she? She looks like she isn't going to take any shit. Right. Like she's done and seen it all. Yeah. And nothing's going to scare her. Yeah. So that's about that. Now let's talk about the tunnels. Okay. There are tunnels underneath 25th Street. And while many deny that they exist, including locals and government officials, the entrances to the tunnels are underneath the Union Station and other businesses. So pretty much every business on that street has a basement. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that every single one of them had a route through the tunnels. Interesting. Probably Um, closed up now. They are closed up now because the tunnels at one point led to the police station as well. Ooh. Yeah. So I think, I was watching one video, and they just kind of like said it casually. They're like, yeah, this one leads over to the, they called it the federal building. This one leads over to the federal building, so they, they really sealed that one off. Yeah. <laughs> but then you see like other places where it's not totally sealed off, like from like the neighboring business. That is crazy. So there's a bar called Brewski's. Okay. And before it was ever a bar, this building was owned by bootleggers. So they used this building as like a front for their bootlegging business. Mm -hmm. So they were part of the whole scheme where they would go through through the the tunnels tunnels and everything. Then once Prohibition let up, then they're like, oh, well, we have this building. Let's just make it a bar. (laughs) We'll do this legally. (laughs) Back in the 1930s, this bar was called the Grill Tap Room. And so the tunnels were used to connect the buildings on 25th Street and they were used for illegal drugs, alcohol during the Prohibition era. They used that to do their prostitution business mm-hmm. as well as murder. Oh. They transported dead bodies through the tunnels. Ah, uh, yeah. The mob. Uh, the tunnels were used so much that it was known as an underground city for a time. Uh, they even had illegal shops down there with windows and entryways. So, like, it literally looked like a shop building. Underground. No and it had You can see... Oh, dude. There are videos and pictures of it. Like, you see, like, a doorway, and you see, like, two windows. And, like, the doorways have, like, intricate carvings in them. They even have, like, pretty brick around it. They took their time with it to make it look legit. Like, like it wasn't... City. Yeah, it wasn't just, like, a like a miner's tunnel. You know, like, it was actually, like, there's brick walls. There was even um, wallpaper in one of the areas. Like, they put wallpaper in the basement. What? To make it look like a, like a speakeasy type thing. Gotcha. That's cool. Yeah. Why deny that's real? I know. Why not be like, look how cool our history is. Yeah. It's more than just, Just, the Mormons came here, yay. This is way more fascinating. Right? Um, (laughs) so there's a a YouTube channel called Omar Gosh TV. (laughs) Omar Gosh? (laughs) Yeah. Um, the person is Omar, is his name. Oh, that's funny. I would definitely look up his videos, though, because he does a, he probably does the best job of, like, showing you the tunnels. Mm -hmm. He's the one that showed the wallpaper and, like, the cool archways and stuff. Like, that's where I got a lot of my information is from his videos. So, definitely check them out. Al Capone actually visited these tunnels, and at one point he said, Ogden is too rough of a street for me. For Al Capone. For Al Capone. And I, I read a lot of different versions of this quote. Some people said that it was right when he stepped off stepped off the train. He looked at it and was like, oh, no, no, no. And then he went back in. Like, he didn't even go onto Ogden 25th Street. He just wow. heard about the rumors, stepped off the, tr- off the train, and just went right back in and said, nope. <laughs> this is too rough for me. Other stories I heard is where he actually visited the tunnels. That's kind of what I put in my notes. Where he went in and he went down, like, saw everything. And he's like... No. For um, Al Capone. For Al Capone. So he didn't try to take over 25th Street because he, wasn't he had the mob. to be the only mob. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Unless his mob was already there and he felt danger, like in like, danger there. His main place was where was Chicago. It? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the deaths. In 1944, there was the Bagley train disaster that killed 44 people. 
and it's believed that at least one of those passengers still haunts the station, the Union Station, mm-hmm. um, and they believe it's a female spirit, and she only likes to talk to men. Here's a picture of the that train crash. Oh my gosh. That I saw is bad. Where I got this picture, they had another picture of them actually pulling bodies off, oh. and I was like, that's graphic. Yeah. <laughs> But that's how bad it was. Wow, that's how many cars does that pile up? Like one, two, three, four, five, six at least. Six car. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's crazy. The 25th Street used to be a very violent area and it was considered the murder capital of Utah. So I didn't get all of the deaths in my notes because it was just, that's just where people died. (laughs) Um, According to Oh My Gosh TV, The bar owner that they interviewed and talked with and actually gave them access to the underground tunnels, he was giving kind of like an explanation of what used to happen in the time. And he said that in the bar that he owns, back in the day when it was a saloon, they would actually have this whole operation set up to where they would figure out who was the most wealthy person. And they would have a woman go over to him and start flirting with him, talking to him until he's most vulnerable. And they literally had trap doors set up underneath the bar stools. And she would, like, open up the trap. He would fall down. And then in the tunnels, they had what was called the murder house. So they would take these wealthy men, beat them, rob them, and then kill them. And no one would ever see them again. Wow. That's insane. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. I don't have a case count. Like, I don't know how many people could have been murdered. But that's just kind of, like, that's just how it was. And it's just travelers. People being like, well... They made a stop in Ogden, and we never saw them again. Yikes. There is a building. The address is 204 25th Street, and it's a bakery, but back in the day, it was called Watkin and Nicholas Grocery. Hmm. On the second floor back in the day, it was a clothing store called Con and Brody Clothing, and on the third floor, it was a rooming house, so basically, like, kind of like on New Girl, where, like, it was, like, a whole apartment type thing, but you uh, rent the rooms individually. okay. So that's kind of what the third floor was. And on December 7th of 1979, a tenant named Robert Lee Leatherman was really cold that night, and they didn't have a furnace, and so what they, what the place would have these people do is leave their doors open at night, and then they would put gas heaters in the hallways. Mm. Um, well, I guess the story goes that Robert one night was super cold and just could not get himself to warm up, so he started to burn newspapers in his room to help him warm up, and then that caused a huge fire. Uh-uh. They weren't able to get everybody out. Sadly, four people died in the fire. Their names were Joe Marcelino Zamora and Ralph McNamara and also Harold Wilford and Bessie Bateman. And then four more people died later from their injuries. They were Jody Gallegos, McLean Crage, Williams Blevins, and Jack Evans. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing ghost hunts there, those are some names for you. Those are like the documented deaths that I had time to find. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's more, but those are like the big ones. Uh, the big train car accident and then the fire at the apartment building. There's also the Ben Le- Lemond or Lemond hotel which is on 25th street that's going to be my part two okay there's a lot of deaths there people who are sensitive to the paranormal have claimed to see faces in the windows as you're walking by or felt dark heavy presence in the stairwells and in alleyways i found a photo that someone took and it's posted on storytours.com and they took a photo of an alleyway and you see a clear apparition of a woman Mm -hmm. and i actually have that picture for you real quick i don't know if you can like see it because it's daytime right now but oh yeah i had to like turn it whoa like you can see her hair and mm-hmm. her white dress that's why i feel like they have a dress code <laughs> right someone's like i stained mine people are gonna think i was murdered by sort it's just ketchup okay uh paranormal enthusiasts say the people who participated in the brothels and the bootleggers are often the spirits that you'll find on 25th street that's some, cool some people who visited the union station Um, and who have taken pictures inside and outside claim to have seen apparitions or orbs or just evidence of paranormal activity. There's a group called the Paranormal Research Group, aka PRG of Utah. They visited the Union Station and did an investigation here, which you can find their video of that on YouTube if you just search PRG of Utah, then Union Station. In their video, they show a couple different photos that look like different apparitions sitting on the benches throughout the building. I guess that they're waiting for their train to arrive. 
Um, in one of the photos, you see a black smudge in one of the doorways, but what's weird about that picture is that it was taken with a digital camera, but the smudge looks like it was underexposed, you know, like it oh, wasn't yeah. totally developed right, but it was taken with the digital camera, so yeah. that's kind of freaky. It's believed that the female who haunts those tunnels underneath the Union Station, that her name is Sarah, they caught an EVP of a female saying Sarah, as well as bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in their video, at one point, they decided to use a spirit box, and one of the investigators says, Can you say Anna? Which is one of the other investigators' names. And then you hear a voice that just keeps saying Anna, 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 over and over and over again. Oh, wow. Isn't that creepy? Yeah, that is way creepy. Um, I read a story on the Utah Haunted History Facebook page where someone said that they were at the Union Station doing a paranormal investigation, and she said that her and her husband had their faces up against a glass window, like, trying to look in. And they were standing right next to each other, and her husband heard a really loud, like, knock come from the inside of the window, like, knuckles against glass. And he, like, jumped back and was like, oh my gosh, did you hear that? And what's weird is the wife didn't hear anything. Only what? he did. Yeah. That's weird. You can't explain that, you know? Oh, It's wow. just weird. Someone who commented on the Facebook page, they also said that they had a scary experience while doing a paranormal investigation at the station. She said she was using a pendulum to ask spirits questions, kind of like dowsing rods. So they can ask like yes or no questions or mm -hmm. like have them point in a certain direction. Yeah. So they were using this pendulum and they were near this elevator and I guess the pendulum swung out and pointed towards the elevator. And just then the person who was holding the pendulum looked up like in that direction and saw a black shadow figure staring back at them. Holy shit. I know, right? That's so scary. <laughs> and she said like within a moment it disappeared. But then later on, you know, in their investigation, she went to use the bathroom. And mm -hmm. when she was in there by herself, she heard heavy boots walk towards the stall that she was in and then stop right in front of the door. And she said it seemed like somebody was looking for her. That is so scary. Isn't that so creepy? Um, she also said that during this investigation, they were standing on top of a stage where an old theater used to be. I believe there was like a ballroom that had like a theater made for like bands to play. I didn't do a lot of research on like each room of the station, but there was a stage. So she okay. said they were up there during this investigation and somebody in their group was doing a prayer so that like whatever trapped spirits were there could be released. And she said during this prayer, she felt something really hot grab a hold of her ankle and wouldn't let go. She got like freaked out and panicked and somebody else looked over and saw whatever it was and yelled at whatever it was to go away and it let go just like that and disappeared. That is so Ugh. freaky because usually it's, it's like, a, oh, a cold, cold feeling or whatever. Yeah. I wonder how that works. So, uh -huh. apparently, also, in the tunnels underneath the Union Station, there is a spirit down there that's nicknamed the Red-Headed Maniac. Oh. And the legend goes that when he was alive, he murdered seven people and transported their bodies through the tunnels. Oh, wow. And he still haunts the, the tunnels down there. Scary. Okay, so then also, the YouTube channel called Oh My Gosh TV, so in their video, they went through the entrance of the Brewski's bar. That's how they got their access. Oh, their okay, it was access. Brewski's. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yep. In one part of the tunnels, they're using that area as like a recording studio for local bands. Oh, cool. Um, and... One time a bandmate said that they were like practicing and they had someone like they felt like somebody just like tapped them on the on their arm And he was like that's the only experience I ever have but it was enough to let me know that we are not alone down here mm -hmm. In the tunnels um, they've also heard footsteps above them and later finding out that the businesses that they were under at the time Were closed like if it was like a weekend or after business hours or whatever it might be um, People have also had just a general feeling of uneasiness down in the tunnels and I found another YouTube video that was posted by the usernames Alan and Diane Outdoors. They have a video that was posted back in 2019 of their ghost hunt down in the tunnels. And right away you can see what looks like it could be an orb flying like across the screen. But I'm very skeptical about orbs because it's like... You just never know. You never know and you can't prove them. And a lot of the times it's either just dust or it's a bug or whatever. And they're in the basement where there's cobwebs everywhere anyway. Yeah. So, like, I can't say if it's real or not, but I'm very skeptical when it comes to orbs. Like, if it's you just know. going across the screen really fast or whatever, or it's like a floating dust. Mm -hmm. But, like, if you can tell... Like, I've seen videos, probably from Ghost Hunters or something, where an orb is, like, making almost intelligent movements. Where it's, yeah. like, it's not just floating across. It's not, like, flying across. It's, like, moving. 
moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, moving up and down and sideways, and it's so they had intelligent. They had a bunch of different orbs that they point out. There were two of them, though, that I'm like, okay. Like, that one I'll give a little bit of credit for, because they were two different orb-type things. And it looks like dust, mm-hmm. but, like, the piece of, if it was dust, looked like it was spiraling as it was moving. And it didn't, like you were saying, it didn't just dart across the screen. It was more like it, like, went down and then up, you know? Or, like, it went down and then into the wall and then back out. <laughs> that was you. <laughs> <laughs> my foot was on the gas. That's so funny. I was like, what the hell is Oh, my gosh. In this video, they also have it, like, ultra slowed down. So they're not just looking at orbs, but, like, at the same time that they see these orbs, you see these weird, like, shadows on the wall. Oh. And it's not like you can really make out, like, a whole silhouette or anything, but, like, it does get darker, and then it gets lighter, and then it gets darker, and it's like, what but is why? That? Yeah. The person in the video claims that, uh, that this area that they were looking at was a portal, of some kind, mm-hmm. so I don't know if, if it really was, but they, they sat there for a long time and watched these orbs and watched these shadows, so who knows. Yeah. They also said that while they were doing this investigation, which I didn't see in the video, so when this happened, I don't know, but they said that they saw an old, bald man wearing a suit and tie just staring at them. Ugh. I know. Really creepy. So yeah, you can go look at their video, though, and you know, take a look for yourself and see what you think. Uh, their username is Alan and Diane Outdoors. So look that up. Just type in Ogden Tunnels. I'm sure you'll find it. There's another iconic bar on 25th Street called Rooster's Brewing. And back in the day, the basement of this building used to be an opium den, and the top floor was a brothel. Back in the day, it served as the Kansas City Liquor Store. And over time, it changed ownership, you know, through Prohibition. It became like a sushi bar for a while. And it became another kind of restaurant. And then it went back to being a bar. So a commenter on the Utah Haunted History Facebook page named Andy Kay said that he often does food deliveries to this Rooster Brewing's place. One time he said that he was... (laughs) doing a delivery into their kitchen and he needed to get his flashlight on his phone out so that he can like find the light switch uh-huh. he said right when he pulled out his phone he noticed that he had almost a full battery but as soon as he turned on the the flashlight it drained to zero wow um some people reported seeing an apparition of a woman on the upper level of the ice cream parlor and it's believed to be the spirit of the notorious madame bell london mm. so she's seen in the upper windows and she's also seen down on the street in front of this ice cream. In the street. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. uh, At this ice cream Usually I feel like ghosts are inside. Yeah. It's like, I'll stay here. There's also a coffee shop, which I was hoping we would would go to. It's called Grounds for Coffee. And there, they allowed a paranormal investigation group called Ogden Paranormal. They have a YouTube video posted, which you can find by searching Ogden Paranormal Grounds for Coffee. Okay. In this video, they do a two-night investigation. And as they were setting up, so you see this room. Mm -hmm. And there's a bunch of tables with chairs. On one of the chairs, you see a jacket that's like draped over the back of the chair. If you watch this jacket, it's being moved. Not in a way that, like, it could be a, a draft or anything. Like, it looked like somebody was, like, grabbing it and, like, yanking on it. What? Yeah, and you might think, like, okay, well, maybe they set up, like, strings. Yeah. But the way that it moves. Even if there's one string, the whole thing is moving. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, who knows? Oh, I'd love to see that. In the basement. After a few minutes of them asking questions without any responses, you hear loud footsteps and knocks that were totally unexplained. Hmm. They got an EVP of what sounded like someone saying Caden, which is one of the investigators' names. Oh. They caught an EVP of someone whistling. Uh, One of the investigators asks, should I just reference you like I'm actually talking to somebody? And then you hear a female's voice saying, I don't know. (laughs) Which I think is so funny because it's like, don't ask stupid questions if (laughs) you want stupid answers. (laughs) Right. Later in the investigation, they're using a ghost box and they're in the kitchen. And one of the investigators asks, are you in the basement? Is that where you want us to go? And you immediately hear a voice say, yup. Oh, wow. Um, at one point in their investigation, they had a pebble thrown at them from across the room. And on the second night of their investigation, they heard an EVP from the basement of a voice saying, she's sorry. And it was when oh. nobody was down there. Wow. They interviewed a girl named Kenzie. So she's actually part of the investigation group and she's an employee at this coffee shop. Yeah. She says that she's worked there for six years and... As they started doing these, like, ghost hunts and things, she's noticed that the fluorescent lights in the building will always flicker. And it's ever since they started doing ghost hunts. 
which makes me think they're getting like the energy like people are finally asking them questions so they're finally i think about it like beyond that like well it's because you're finally asking them questions like they need something to answer you back with you yeah know? yeah so i think that's just fascinating she says that often in the morning some people are opening up the coffee shop which you know is like 5 a.m or whatever time yeah she says the employees will often hear footsteps coming down the stairs she said there's been a few times where objects will move on their own like the chairs will slide out on their own or things will just be thrown off shelves how do they not just have security cameras running all the time know, just right? just because i feel like it would bring business if it's yeah. haunted don't yeah. you think and guess what ghost adventures has not been here really isn't that crazy yeah how have they not done that part of me wonders if these businesses are like no thanks just because they make it mm -hmm. worse yeah yeah i don't know I but mean, they have i wonder if there. they get paid for it though they like if the to. businesses get money for investigations happening they have to right yeah yeah you think because they're using their name as like advertisement mm -hmm. i don't know that's interesting um kenzie talked about one time when there was an employee that walked through the back door and I picked, she didn't really like explain it, but I pictured it like once you walk in, then there's a set of stairs that goes down. Uh -huh. She says that this employee walked through this back door and just kind of glanced down the stairs and saw a full body apparition of somebody standing down Hell there. Hell no. I know. I'm like that. I would never me. go in the back again. I, oh my gosh. She also said in her interview that the owner, she says when she first got the building, at the time, she had a four-year-old son with her, and, you know, he'd come to the shop every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And every time he'd go, he would sit at the top of the stairs and just be like, Oh, Mommy, there's a ghost there. A ghost there. A ghost there. And just, like, point out ghosts. Freaking kids. <laughs> so that's the coffee shop. There's another place called Making Sense Emporium, which is now the Brookery Bakes, which is the bakery. Okay. Back in 2016, the owner of Making Sense Emporium, so before it was a bakery, they had paranormal investigators come and check out the building as well. Um, he claimed that under the building in particular, there used to be an opium den, another one, mm -hmm. and that opium den is what led you to the murder house. So if you go onto YouTube and you search Jax with an X in the Ogden Tunnels, you'll see his investigation there. Now, I'll give you a heads up. Compared to the other investigations that have been done, this doesn't seem like a professional one. It really seems like they just went down with their smartphones and were just messing around. Messing around. It doesn't okay. seem like they were really trying to get answers or trying to be serious with it. But I did get some information from that. In their videos, they were using like dowsing rods and things like that asking questions and while they're asking questions in the background which they don't really pay attention to it but you hear ticking and taps that are in responses to their questions oh. but they didn't realize in the time definitely check out their video too i found another youtube video called ghost hopping they did their first episode on octon's 25th street they investigated the wise guys comedy club and a sushi bar which is now a thai restaurant and they were able to catch a couple of evps one sounded like a child's voice saying four and two times they heard a voice saying the name ben they also captured well listen y'all that's funny there's a cafe called two bit street cafe and guests have claimed to be touched while eating there at the cafe wow there's also a pawn shop called the gift house and in their basement there is a spirit they believe is named james hmm also fun fact the hi-fi shop murders happen right around the street like right around the corner oh yep and that is my part one of Ogden's 25th Street. Awesome. That sounds like you could spend a whole day there. A whole day. And we still have part two, which yeah. is a whole hotel. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for listening to our episode 15, which had a lot of ups and downs, ups and, downs and, and turnarounds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's been a wild ride. Thanks uh, but, for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for joining. Uh, this comes out on March 20th, which is the astrological new year, which is my eighth wedding anniversary. Congrats. Your marriage is an Aries. We made it at least so far. <laughs> Just kidding. Congrats on your marriage and congrats on Aries babies. Congrats that it's your birthday month. Thanks everybody for listening to episode 15. Uh, catch us on instagram we have a website oh my gosh i did it yeah it's not fully baked i That's mean okay. there i need to still add the merch stuff as well as we have a small business shout out it's yes. all i'll have a page for small businesses who are on tier three would like a shout out with a little description and a link to your business mm -hmm. but yeah so i it's there it's a it's not the best website you've ever seen but it's great 
check it out. So, hope you guys enjoyed it. April worked really hard on it, and it's still going to be improving. Yeah. As always, if you have any personal paranormal or true crime stories to share, you can write to us at... Hauntingcold at gmail.com. Yes, hauntingcold. Or you can submit it on our website. Oh, yeah. If you don't want to use your email, you can just write it to us on there, which might be easier for you. And you can tell us if you want us just to share it or if you want an interview. Either way. Would yes. Be fun. Yep, we're good either way. Uh, you can also check us out on Instagram at Haunted Cold Podcast. Check us out on Facebook at Haunted Cold. Uh, you can check us out on Twitter. Just Haunted Cold, guys. Just, just find us. Search. <laughs> and you'll see our little logo. You'll yeah. know it's us. Well, my we, bladder is we going to explode. Pee. So, um, mm, okay, bye. bye.